Well, thanks very much, Tanya, and um, lovely to be here again. Um, it's kind of funny, people often don't seem to know what to call me. I sometimes get some of my students calling me Uncle Pete. So I don't know, go figure. Um, but um, it is just a, a real privilege to be able to be here. Um, just recently, I, um, I, I was looking through some family photos and I came up with this one, if that's going to come on up. Oh, no, back one, there it is. Oh, there it is, yeah. Um, that was from just a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, but it wasn't, it wasn't too many years ago, all right? But I was looking at the photo and really enjoying it and suddenly thought, hang on, there's something really wrong here. Like, we are missing someone. Mackenzie is not part of the photo. So we're going to have to rearrange and try and do all of that again. But uh, I was looking at the photo and I was thinking, man, how incredibly fast the years seem to fly by. I remember my grandfather used to say those sorts of things and I used to think, yeah, that's all right for for old blokes like you. And now I'm one of the old blokes, you know. But I I must confess, I, I do recall those younger years growing up, Wendy and I grew up at Ashgrove Baptist Church. And we had a, a wow of a time, a church that had a whole bunch of young people, much the same as you have here. And as we were growing up, I, I think I developed this idea that essentially there were two kinds of Christians. The first kind of Christian were the ones who were always up the front. They were always singing, they were always involved in the Holiday Kids Club, everything that was going on, they were there, you know. And, and my sense was that you kind of had super Christians but then the other kinds of Christians that you had were, were in a sense like the spectators, all right? Um, so you had super Christians, you had spectators and I, as I looked at it, I, I wasn't disparaging of the spectators but I kind of wish they'd just get with the program. They'd actually get more involved because I, I knew what sort of Christian I wanted to be. I wanted to be involved in absolutely everything that was going and as the years went by, um, part of my uh, inducement to be involved was, uh, was that Wendy was also very involved and so that was a really good part of it as well. But you see, I had this idea that there was essentially two kinds of Christians and I don't know about you but my suspicion is that many people in our churches today still hold to a similar view that there are two kinds of Christians. There are those who are the ones who get involved in everything and then there are the others who who love Jesus but they kind of just want to come along and watch what everybody else does. But you know, as I have journeyed along the road with Jesus and as I have studied the scriptures more and more, I've come to the, the clear conviction that that is not a dichotomy that the Bible actually presents to us. In fact, the scriptures seem to make it very clear as we come to 2 Peter in chapter 1 that there really is only one kind or one group of Christians and that is those who have come to share in this precious faith that we have in the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice the way that Peter starts his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and he writes and he says, "...to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And Peter's whole point is that if you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith is every bit as precious as his, as any other believer. It doesn't matter how involved you are, how much up front you are, it doesn't matter how much you do in the life of the church, if you've come to trust in the Lord Jesus you share in something which is incredibly precious and that is a living faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the value of your faith is not determined by how much you do in the life of the church. It's not determined by how much money you give in the offering. It's not determined by how much you find yourself up here on the platform leading or speaking or singing or doing any other thing. The value of your faith is the fact that God has done a work in your life. He has planted a seed of faith in your life. And this is what makes your faith so incredibly precious. It is in fact God's rich gift to you. Just as in one sense today we've been celebrating the fact that Mackenzie is God's rich gift to Kieran and Heidi. In a somewhat similar fashion we might say our faith is God's rich gift to us. Something that he has invested in us. You see as we come to 2 Peter we find that his overall theme is perhaps best summed up in his very concluding words. The last part of 2 Peter chapter 3, these are the last recorded words of the Apostle Peter before he would die a martyr's death. And he says, but listen, I want you to keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And when he says grow, he uses what we call the present continuous. Tanya would know all about that having been to Bible college. But it's the present continuous. In other words, he's saying, I want you to keep on growing. No matter how old or young you are, I want you to keep on growing in the grace and your knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's interesting because in Peter's first letter, he was actually warning believers about the kind of opposition that would come from without. Those believers at that time were beginning to suffer the blowtorch of persecution and it was not easy and he wanted to remind them that as believers we will face opposition from the world and let me say to you we need to be fully aware of it in the age in which we are living and I suspect that that opposition will only continue to grow even more and more as the days go by. But in this second letter Peter wants to warn about another potential danger for the believer. And that danger is the danger that can sometimes come from within, whether it be from false prophets or teachers who worm their way into the life of the church and try to teach a, a gospel which is not the true gospel at all or whether it be that we simply become spiritually lethargic and apathetic. You see, Peter had been on the journey long enough. He had been preaching the gospel long enough, he had been pastoring the church long enough to recognise how easily you and I can come off the boil spiritually. That passion that we once had for Jesus, which so ignited our hearts and and filled our, our minds and our desires, can so easily begin to wane. We can lose our passion and we can become fruitless in our service for Christ. And so what Peter wants to do is to remind people, listen, you've got something which is incredibly precious. And like anything that's incredibly precious, you want to look after it and guard it, don't you? I mean, I watched the way Kieran and Heidi guard little Mackenzie. Man, she is super precious. And I'm not the least bit biased, but I just happen to be her grandfather. But she is incredibly precious. But like anything that's precious, you want to guard it for all that you're worth. And so what Peter wants to do is he wants to set out for these believers 
some clear guidelines for guarding this precious gift of faith that God has entrusted to you. A few years back, Wendy decided that uh, she wanted me to do something for her. Uh, We've got an old Queenslander that we moved about 18 years ago from down at Eagleby and uh, so it's like a two-storey house and she said, "Um, I'd really love some, some garden boxes outside my kitchen windows. We've got two windows in the kitchen that's sort of on the corner of the house. She said, I'd love some garden boxes outside the window so I can plant herbs and spices and all that sort of thing. And I said, yeah, sure, love, uh, accepting that it's sort of two stories up. So I spent about half a Saturday up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder, fastening brackets and, and fastening these window boxes there. And then I got soil from, am I allowed to men- mention Bunnings? I'm not getting a commission, but okay, from Bunnings. And uh, so I got the soil and then I got the herbs and spices and I planted them all in there for her. And I said, okay, babe, it's over to you. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to change her cooking like you wouldn't believe. This is going to be sensational. All right. Uh, you, you can see what became of the herbs and spices. Uh, herbs and spices do need to be tended to. They actually need water and fertiliser and she was somewhat neglectful of that. And so in the end, we, I, I, I never got to experience the potential blessing of these window boxes. So finally one day I went back to the said store again and I got some Geraniums, I think that's what they are. Is that what they are? Yeah, thank you. All right. I'm a horticultural genius, I know that. So I, I, I got these geraniums and I put them in there and I discovered they hardly need any attention at all. And so that's what's become of those. But you see, the deal was when I put in these garden boxes for her, they needed to be cared for. They needed to be watered, they needed to be fertilised and all of the rest of that. And the truth is, If we are going to guard and keep our faith, this precious gift from God, we've got to invest in it. We've got to tend to it. We've got to make sure that we actually look after it. Otherwise, a little like Wendy's herbs and spices, it'll begin to shrivel and become fruitless. So what is the first thing that Peter suggests to us that will help us preserve and make fruitful this precious faith? Well, the first thing I'd say is that he wants us to remember the foundation of our faith. As Peter launches into this second letter, he wants to remind believers, when did you first come to faith? Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so as Peter begins to talk to them about their faith, he wants them to start to think back, when did you first hear the message of the gospel? Whether it was through Peter or through Paul. But he wanted them to be reminded of what, what is your faith rested upon? One of the things I, I typically do with our students at college is that I want to continually remind them about the essentials of the gospel because this is where our faith has been founded, isn't it? And so I usually have a five-finger reminder about the essentials of the gospel. And the first part of that is simply the reminder that people need God. Until people come to a point where they recognise that they actually have a need of God, they're not remotely interested in God. So the first thing is our need of God. The second thing then is the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus 
about whom we've sung so much this morning, about whom we so regularly speak, who is he? Because we need to be clear that this Jesus is none other than God come in human flesh. He's not just a good man. Or as C.S. Lewis once put it, you either regard him as a lunatic, as a liar, or you recognise who he is. He is the Lord of all glory come in human flesh. And you've got to be really clear about who Jesus is. But the third key element of the Gospel is that you've got to be really clear about not only his birth but his death and his resurrection. Because if Jesus did not die for our sins, you and I are hopelessly lost. If he was not raised to life again, as Paul says to the Corinthians, we are still dead in our transgressions and sins. We've got no hope. The fourth key element of the Gospel is the necessity of repentance and faith. We've got to be really clear about that, don't we? That there is no entrance into this incredible gift of faith until we have turned from our sins, until we repent and we put our faith and trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fifth key element, which is often there, both in Jesus' presentations and those of the early apostles, was the certainty of coming judgment. But Peter wants his, his readers to re, be reminded about where did their faith journey begin? Somewhere they heard the gospel. I'm reminded of what it says in Hebrews 4 and verse 2, that it's not just enough to hear the message because without the application of faith, the message does nothing. It must be a message that is embraced by faith. But the fact is, the moment I embrace the Lord Jesus by faith, the moment I put my trust in him instead of in myself or any other thing, I suddenly find that this faith has brought me into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus where I actually know him for myself. Listen again to what Peter says there in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our our knowledge of him. It is through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that we enter into this incredible living relationship of faith. The word that he uses there for knowledge is a really interesting word. In, In the New Testament language there's a number of words that can be used for knowledge but this is a word that speaks about knowledge that is gained through personal experience. Let me illustrate for you. When our kids were little, Wendy would at times be cooking something on the stove. She'd have something on the stove, she'd have a pot of something or other, no herbs and spices, but anyway, a pot of something on the stove and she'd be cooking something, right? And she would say to the kids, don't touch that pot, it's hot, right? So the kids knew that it was hot. Why? Because, well, mum said so. But just occasionally... We'd be stepped out of the kitchen and all of a sudden I'd hear a blood-curdling scream from one of our three children who will remain anonymous at this point in time. But what I very quickly discovered was that they now knew that the pot was hot. Oh yeah, they knew, they knew by personal experience that is hot. You see, we can know about Jesus without ever really knowing Jesus, can't we? And what Peter wants his readers to understand is that what we have is a personal experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus which must by all means be cultivated. 
It must be enlivened as a matter of daily course. I mean, what is a relationship without investment in that relationship? You see, I want to say to you this morning, if you feel that spiritually your life has become somewhat dry, if that sense of desire for the things of God has begun to dissipate, it will in all probability mean that you have not been investing in your relationship with Jesus. You barely talk to him. You catch up with him on a Sunday if you've got time to be here at church. But you're not actually pursuing and deepening that relationship with him. You see, if we're going to continue to flourish, to grow in our faith, then we've got to continually be drawn back to the foundation of our faith when I first met Jesus. There was a singer one time who wrote a song said something like, take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first believed you. You know, sometimes we need to be taken back to that place where we first came to trust in the Lord Jesus. Where the lights came on and we knew what it was to be born again by the Spirit of God and life entered into our soul. But then I want you to notice that Peter suggests, I believe, that we do need to continue to cultivate the fruit of our faith. When you look at what he says in verses 5 and following, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he lists a range of virtues. He says, Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. He says, If you possess these qualities... In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to understand that even though we are not saved by our works, when Peter says, I want you to add to your faith, he's not saying you've got to add something to the gospel in order to be saved. What he's saying is, having come to faith, you need to actually then continue to make the outworking of that faith real. And so he lists these seven qualities, the first of which is add to your faith goodness. You know, the word that he uses there was an agricultural term. It's a term that Jesus uses in the parable of the sower and the seed. Remember Jesus tells that parable? And he talks about the seed that fell on the good ground. And the good ground was the ground that was ploughed up and it was ready to receive the seed and spring forth and bring forth a bumper crop. Peter says, I want you to add to your faith goodness. I want you to continue to make sure in one sense that your heart is like good ground, it's ploughed up, ready to receive the word of God. Can I ask you, when you come to church of a Sunday, do you come with a heart that in, in one sense is, is like good ground, it's ploughed up, ready to receive the word of God? God, what, what do you have to say to me today? As you come to reading your scriptures day by day, is there a sense of coming to the word and saying, God, what have you had for me today? What do you want to invest into my heart through your word? Peter says, add to your faith goodness and to that add knowledge. And there again, he uses that wonderful word that speaks of an experiential knowledge, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge of the person of the Lord Jesus. He says, add to that self-control. Mine's doesn't of Paul's list in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. 
But I want to say to you this morning, self-control is not just you and I gritting our teeth when somebody really annoys us and we're trying to hold back from saying something we might regret. That is not self-control. Self-control is when I learn to live under the control of the Spirit of God. You see, you and I are never more self-controlled than we allow His Spirit to control us. To control our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our actions and our reactions. And He says, I want you to add to that perseverance, the ability to hang in there, to keep on keeping on, even when things are tough and challenging. He says, I want you to add to that godliness. What's godliness? It's a curious term, isn't it? I should put that in exam sometime. Give me a definition of godliness. Is it, is it sort of walking around with your eyes closed most of the day and your hands clasped? That, 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 that's not what we're talking about, is it? Godliness, I, I think, speaks about a, a piety towards others, uh, towards God rather, and a compassion towards others. When, when my heart is reflective of the heart of God towards others. That that is a clear demonstration of godliness. And he says, I want you to add to that brotherly kindness, that sense of kind affection towards others, where my greater delight is in building others up, encouraging others, rather than smacking other people down. And he says, I want you to add to that love. And there he uses that wonderful word agape that speaks of of God's kind of love. It's a self-giving It's a self-sacrificing kind of love that gives and gives and never draws a line, never has a limit, just says, I'm going to keep on giving. He says, I want you to add to your faith real love. Do you get the sense of what Peter's saying here? He says, I want you to actually be invested in your faith. I want you to make every effort to ensure that it continues to grow. And the final thing I would suggest to you that Peter wants us to focus on is the future of our faith. Where where is this faith journey taking us? Where is the Christian life headed? You see, as Christians, we don't just live in the present, do we? There's plenty enough people in the world around about us and you've probably got friends and neighbours and work colleagues who just live for the present. They're going to suck every ounce of pleasure they can out of life while they've got the moment. But you see, for us as believers, the way that we live in the present is determined by our view of the future. Where this journey is taking us. Look at what Peter says in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, if you are committed to adding to your faith these very virtues of which he has been speaking, if you do these things, you will never fail and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now what's Peter saying? Brothers and sisters, Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Make every effort. Is Peter suggesting somehow or other that, well, maybe our salvation is dependent upon our works. Even though Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. And now, Peter, are are you telling us that by making every effort, this is the way we guarantee our salvation? 
raises an interesting question, doesn't it? Biblical scholar by the name of Warren Wearsby puts it so delightfully, I think, when he says this. Listen to it carefully. He says, It is not our profession of faith that guarantees that we are saved. Rather, our progression in that faith that gives us assurance. In other words, as I continue to have a faith that is real, alive, vibrant and growing, as I am investing in that faith, It has a wonderful way of validating to my heart the fact that, you know what, God has done a good work in me. As I find that I'm not, I can't be content just to cruise in this thing. I've got to be absolutely committed to growing in my faith. That has a wonderful way of assuring my heart that, you know what, I really am a child of God. Because only God could do this good work within me. I recently spoke to a pastor. Um, his wife had died, I took the funeral and his reflection to me was, you know, the thing I want more than anything is at the end of my journey. I would hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, you stuck it out, you went the distance, you went all the way. You didn't grow cold in the journey. And so I want to ask a question as we conclude this morning. Do you think Peter's words are just for super Christians? They're not. They're for every one of us who have come to share in this rich, living, precious faith that God has birthed within our hearts. See, God wants every one of us to have a growing and a fruitful faith. A growing and a fruitful faith that sees you and me being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus so that we become more and more like Jesus. And dare I say, for Kirit and Heidi, you know, this is your journey personally, but it's your journey as you invest in the lives of your children, as you invest in little Mackenzie's life to help her to see and understand what it is to have a faith that is living and growing It's not just a faith that's connected with coming to church, but it's a living, active faith that is developing and growing day by day. So how do we do that? Well, Peter's already given us some clear instructions, but I want to suggest to you that the way that we develop a a rich, vibrant and growing faith is not just to sit quietly on the sidelines as a spectator. I don't mean to church but a spectator to the faith. We've got to get actively involved in our faith. I'm not talking about actively involved in being upfront and busy, busy, busy in the life of the church. No, what I'm talking about is actively involved in adding these kinds of virtues to our faith. These virtues that will grow and cultivate a deep and rich and growing knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're looking for an assurance today that you are actually saved? Peter says, look, if you've got these things, if this is going down in your life, then it will well assure your heart that you are truly saved. And so he says, look, make every effort. Because if you do, 
Not only will your heart be well assured, but it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus? Surely not. Otherwise, what on earth are you doing here today? Surely you, you, you actually want a Christian faith that is vital, real and growing. That is not only seeing you transform but allowing the grace of God through you to touch and transform other people's lives as well. You see, this is why God calls us into Christian community so that together we may continue to grow We may spur one another on to love and to good works and that through our faithful lives and witness others too will be touched and drawn into a living love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a a blessed thing it is to be part of the family of God, eh? I think we sort of sang about that or talked about at the start of the service, didn't we? About being part of the family of God. What a rich thing to be a part of. So I want to encourage you all as a church family. I want to encourage Kieran and Heidi as a family to keep pressing on. To keep pressing on to have a rich and vibrant faith that is so tangible, so obviously real that it touches and impacts the lives of your children and your children's children. Well, I think we better pray before I keep going on too long. How about we pray? Oh Lord, we want to say thank you for the goodness and grace of God that you've revealed to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you Lord that through faith in him we've come to actually know him. Not just simply know about him but we've come to know him in living reality as a a day-to-day integral part of who we are, the lives that we live. But Lord, we pray that you'll never give us a sense of satisfaction that in one sense we'll kick it back into neutral and just think that we can cruise this Christian life through. But Lord, give us a pressing desire to keep on going, to keep on growing and to be fruitful in our knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Father, we pray your blessing upon us. Lord, we pray it not only that we ourselves may be blessed, but we pray it so that you will be glorified. And that through blessing us, others in turn will be blessed by the lives that we live and the faithfulness that we demonstrate. And these things we humbly ask for in Jesus' precious name. Amen.